racers on them, you know, that's a whole next level deal. So now I'm, I'm leaving the racer there. Uh, I just think that's neat right there. I want to put something up here that we're really talking about. Really, what is the value? <coughs> Depends on what you're doing. What's the value of absolute truth? Priceless. Priceless. Yeah. It's priceless. You know, I hate to quote TV commercials unless they're spot on, but that's fact. You go to the doctor and something's hurting bad and you're like, here's what's going on, what's up? Well, it might be several things. I don't know. I kind of think sort of maybe it might be your leg. Let's cut it off. <laughs> Time out, sawbones. Time out. When you start talking about cutting my night, just got that serious. I think, I think it might be, you know, I heard of some people having this problem and they had symptoms kind of like yours, Jim, and deal where there's two things we can do and either one of them will kill you if it's not the right thing. So you ready to go? <laughs> Time out, Doc. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So it just depends on, on the value of the thing you're talking about. Now, when you're talking about life, not even living life, eternal life. Now you're talking about the part of you that's bigger than the outside part of you. That thing that is within you that knows, I don't care how old you are, and you know exactly what it was like to be five years old. I'm not 25 years old anymore, but there's a part of me within me that doesn't know that. It's been that long. What is that if that's not the eternity that God set in the heart of man? There's, there's this thing within you that's timeless, and that's your eternal soul. Now, I understand there's lots of things connected with that. And if that doesn't suit you, what's, what's, what's the value of absolutely being sure and certain? One of the things, go ahead, brother. Oh, oh, see, 
I mean, we just want to know stuff for sure. One of the, thing, one of the things we hate waste, worse in this world is, well, being un, being uncertain. we just don't know for sure. I just don't know for sure. Has my leg got to come off or not? What, what? No, we just don't like that. I've even heard people say, I'd rather have bad news. Than to abide here. So that's interesting. What we've been talking about, uh, is Jesus, of course. But what we've been talking about for a good while in, in the context of all that is truth. The message of the apostles, remember? Go to John 17, 20. The world, the, our world today doesn't like absolute truth. I've had arguments with people and tell me there's no absolute truth. What'd they just do? Argument's over, because now you're arguing with a fool, and Solomon said, if there's two fools having an argument, guess what? I mean, if you're arguing with a fool, guess what? There's two of y'all having one, so stop that. There's no absolute truth except the absolute truth that you just told me. There's no absolute truth. Well, that doesn't even make sense. And we're talking about truth here. And he said in verse 17, Sanctify them, Father, by the truth. Thy word, your word, is truth. And then he said, I'm praying, Father, not just for these you've given me, these disciples, which really are apostles. I'm not praying just for these apostles that you've given me, 1720. I'm praying for all those who will believe on me or believe in me through what? See, that's it. Their message. Who's the there? That's the apostles he's been having this conversation with. If we looked at all the miracles John's given us in the book so far, and <coughs> I just want to underline to us, I've, I've thought about this for several days, and, and I said I... I Sometimes I don't draw out and I don't spell out the implications of all the truth that we're saying. And sometimes I do that to try to help people or encourage people to think. But I don't want you to skip this. Was it necessary? Was it necessary and important for Jesus to change water to wine at a wedding in Cana? No. No. Was he doing just wasting time? No, it's necessary. In 2.11, he thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. 
It's hard for me to believe, knowing Jesus as I do, that he did anything by accident or ever said, uh-oh, because he didn't. He was a deliberate man, and he did exactly what needed to be done. What exactly would you know about John chapter 2 and him transforming? I've decided today I'm going to start using that word instead of change. Why would I use the word transform? It's God's twofold eternal purpose. He wants all men to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. And those that are saved, he wants to be transformed into the likeness of his son. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, several other places. He's got a plan. God's got a plan. God's plan was for me to move to Pennsylvania. I don't know about that. I believe he allowed it. I believe he provided it. I believe it's for his glory because that's what I asked for. And lo and behold, this is what I got. But God didn't force me to do this. He didn't force you to invite me. But here we are. So when you talk about God's got a plan, God's got a plan. He's got a plan to save all mankind. Is all mankind going to be saved? Hmm. Why? Because there's this little thing called choice. Free will, and everybody's got it, and you can lead a horse to water, but you can't. See? So I can lead you to the living water, but I can't make you drink. I'm underlining this message part because this doesn't go without saying. What would you know about a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee outside of John wrote it down by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2? What would you, you even know anything about it? Of any of the miracles that Jesus did so far in the Gospel of John, what would you know about those miracles outside of the apostles' message? You would know zero about it. The only way to know is through their message. All secular history will tell you about Jesus. He's a Jew, lived in the first century, suffered a severe penalty under Pontius Pilate. That's it. That's it. The other historical record and any historical record that gives you any detail, any specific detail about what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and where Jesus went comes from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Comes from the apostles' message. And as we spent a good bit of time looking, you can go over our chapter 14 if you wanted to, the, the conversation started in chapter 13. Remember what he did there? It wasn't a miracle, but it was very powerful. And he served them. He showed them the full end, the full extent of his love. And he served them. He said, you don't know what I've done for you, but I've left you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And it starts the conversation. In 14, 15, 16, he's still having this conversation. In chapter 14, what are they? Troubled. No, they're not, they're not, they're not frustrated trying to figure out some income tax. They're not looking for No, they're troubled. That's deep inside here, folks. Do not let your 
Brains be distracted by trivial stuff that happens in far away. That's not what he said. Do not let your what? Your hearts. Where are they troubled? They are troubled deep in here. Why? Because they've got the truth about what's fixing to happen. They don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to them. It's going to cost them possibly and probably and most likely everything. Because Thomas nailed it. He spoke up for everybody in chapter 11 when he said, oh, great, we're going to Bethany. Okay, we will all just go and die with you. Well, Jesus gave them the itinerary a good bit before this. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. There's still doubts in their minds because there's still what? Fear. I'm pointing like it was still over. But you understand what I'm saying? Let me turn it back around here. <coughs> They're still here. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. What will that do? Remove doubt. What, I, what I've spent some time trying to do is help you understand the condition of the apostles. When he's having this conversation, what is their condition? They're afraid and they are deeply troubled. They are deeply troubled. This is not academic for them. They have put their lives on the line. They have left everything in order to go do what? Well, he's fixing to die, and they're fixing to die with him. How'd that deal work out? But yet, water to wine, healing at a distance, healing a lame man, healing a man born blind rescuing them from nature itself, taking two sardines and five tortillas and feeding a multitude of people. And all of these things happen over and over and over in the lives of the apostles. They saw these things happen and they just can't let go of that because you know what that is? All the things that he did, there wasn't a parlor trick in none of it. You don't stop a hurricane force storm on the Sea of Galilee and instantaneously appear on the other side. They did. They did. You don't take a little boy's lunch and feed at least 15,000 people. He did. You don't transform water into wine. He did. You don't, you don't make some mud spitting in the ground, rubbing in a man born blind eyes, tell him to go to the pool of, I sent you over here and wash it out, and all of a sudden he can see. Jesus did. They watched him do these things, and they know that. And even though they saw that, do they understand? No. And so what... This still has a hold of them because this, this is still their condition. They're afraid and they doubt. Their courage is in an all-time high. No, it's not. And human courage isn't going to stop hurricane force winds, isn't going to feed a multitude, isn't going to transform water to wine, isn't going to give sight to the blind, isn't going to raise anybody from the dead physically. Lazarus didn't need somebody with some courage to show up. He's been in the grave long enough. He stinks. Bless their hearts. All this stuff's going on. What is the possibility? What is the possibility of them coming up with a message? 
the historical record as we have it up to chapter 16, throw 17 in there too. If nothing else happens to these apostles, where are you going to get this information? Where's this message going to come from? These guys couldn't come up with a message any more than they could change water to wine. They're not fixing to produce a message any more than they're going to feed a multitude with a little boy's lunch. These apostles are not going to span, a, span the globe with a message of redemption. They're not going to put all this together, write all this down. They're not... At this point, the church is never going to happen. Faith in Jesus Christ is never going to come about. There's no source for it. There's no, there's no truth declaring it. It cannot happen. The fact that you hold a New Testament in your hand, even whether or not it's digital, doesn't matter. The fact that you have the message of the apostles, it's really God's message concerning his son given through his spirit to these apostles. These guys are not fixing to have a message. And Jesus said, you need to trust me on this. Because what did he tell them is going to happen? 1426. Remember? The Father is going to send the helper in my name. He's going to teach you all things. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to remind you of everything I've ever said to you in 1613, tell you what is yet to come. And that will not happen until I go to the Father and I prepare a place for this to start. And he did too. The Holy Spirit coming to these apostles and bringing the message of God, the message about the Son of God, the message of Jesus Christ, all the miracles he did, all the truth he taught, all the things he performed, all the things that he did that are recorded. And John said, you couldn't write them down. The world doesn't hold, wouldn't be a big enough library for it. That's what he said, 21 last verse or two, 25, I think. And these guys are not going to do this on their own. But 53 days about after this conversation, guess what happens? They got it. There's no more fear and there's no more doubt. Fear and doubt on the day of Pentecost are gone. They're hiding behind locked doors for fear of the Jews until the Holy Spirit comes and then what? Open the doors, boy, and let them all in. Why? Because truth has arrived and they know it and it's not from them. It's not from them. Now I said all that and I've laid all that out time and time again, but I'm making the point tonight. Why did John write that to the church? I know it happened. What value to put on truth? Depends on what truth it is. Truth that'll save your soul. Truth that'll transform your life. Truth that will bring you from darkness to light. Just as the man born blind and John. Tr truth that would bring you out of the grave just as much as it did Lazarus. Truth that would bring you from death to life, that kind of truth. 
Why would John write this to the church? This is in here. John doesn't state. All he says is, all these things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if the apostles don't get this message by the Spirit because Jesus is the Son of God and God has seated him on the throne, if, that, if Jesus isn't sitting on the throne, if he's not reigning and ruling as king, then he has no authority. The Spirit never comes. You don't have a Bible, and it doesn't matter. The apostles' re reception of the Holy Spirit, them going from scared and afraid and arguing about who's the greatest, them going from I don't understand to glad y'all are all here, let me explain it to you. And they start quoting Old Testament Scripture and explaining it. Jesus is the Christ. He is the David. He is the one who, who God said, I will not let his body see decay. Why give that truth to the church? So you can be sure and certain. So you can have fear and doubt removed. He wants the church to know the source of their faith is trustworthy, it's reliable. You don't compare religions in the world. Christianity, as we said over and over, is not a system of morality. If it is, you might, if that's all it is, you just well to have Islam. Because you're just left with people. And people can't change water to wine. Most of all, people can't give life to the dead. Biggest thing of all, people cannot bring eternal life here. If Jesus is just a people, then life didn't come. Jesus is not just a people. He is the Son of God. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And so John doesn't go out of his way, but on his way, he proves the, the absolute certainty of the apostles' message, the very message that tells you the absolute deity of Jesus Christ. This is the value of it. This is what saves us. This is what gives us victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the grave itself. This is it. It's this message. So I said all that, asked me lots of questions. Anything. Why is he bothering to tell us about the water he transformed into wine? Why is he bothering to tell us about a little boy's lunch who became a feast for an entire multitude and with 12 baskets left over? Why is he bothering to tell us that he waited until one of his very best friends died and went there days later? Proof that he could do things that man couldn't do. Like what? 
What's the ultimate thing man can't do? That's it. That's it. You can't save yourself. You can't fix your problem. You can get stronger, healthier, and faster, maybe, to some degree. That's not really on your terms. One good car wreck and you're done. What difference will that make? I told you I've talked to dozens of people on their deathbed. I'm going to count that up sometime. There's no way it's less than a dozen. I think it's more likely closer to two. I'm talking about some of the last words and last, last breaths that people took in their body and not a single solitary one of them. That's not everybody on the planet. But that's plenty for me to understand. Not a one of them has talked about how much money they made. Not one of them. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They're talking about love. They're talking about peace. They're talking about faith. They're talking about God. That's what they're talking about. In some regard, that's what they're talking about. I'm not talking about people who were, who were confident. I'm, I'm talking about people, period. Why at the very end of all things are we not defending all these soapboxes we were standing on throughout life? Ain't nobody talking about their sports team. Nobody talking about their motor oil or the investment broker they used, or they're not talking about any of that stuff. What are they talking about? Stuff that's forever. Stuff that's forever. Hmm. You can't do it. Mankind is what I'm saying. Mankind cannot save mankind. You can't even keep from getting sick for crying out loud. What are we going to do? Postpone death? Till when? You're not going to do away with the grave. Man-made religions don't do away with the grave. They don't have any victory over it. They don't offer a solution. They just offer you and your effort. And if we turn Christianity into that, we miss the boat. We miss the boat. This is Jesus. He is man, but he is not just man. He is God in the flesh. And he didn't just come and do a long list of things that man alone cannot do. He came to bring what man didn't have, what man couldn't have, life eternal. He came to bring what you can't have on your own, intimate access with your creator, 
a relationship with your creator that is as, as, as eternal as the creator himself. And man can't do that. And this is what he has given us in his son. He created the world. He said that in chapter one. Though, though the world was made through him, the world, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. They were expecting him and looking for him. But his own wouldn't receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, and after these apostles, it's people that got it from their message. Because that's the only place to get it. He gave the right to become children of God through their message. The message tells us the opportunity is for us to become children of God. The message tells us this is absolute. The message tells us when Jesus does something, he does it enough. The message tells us this is for sure and this is for certain. And what we have in Christ Jesus is just as sure and certain, brothers and sisters, as the deity of Jesus Christ is sure and certain. Is he the son of God? You know it or are you just lean in that direction? Is he the one who did? What no one could do. Is this true or not? Yes, ma'am. What you've been saying for the last several minutes brought something to mind. Okay. Um, I was reading poignant last words of Steve Jobs, billionaire, dead at 56. Oh, my. He says, right now, lying on my hospital bed, reminiscing of all my life, <coughs> I realize that all the recognition and wealth I took so much pride in has faded and become meaningless in the face of imminent death. You can hire someone to drive your car or make money for you, but you can't hire someone to stand sick and die for you. Material things can be lost and found again, but there's one thing that can never be found when it's lost. Life. Ooh. So I don't know how he died. I, don't know, I have no idea whether he... I don't either, but how big is God with him saying that? Right. I have no idea whether he was saved or not, or if he knew Christ... Don't know, but he's an amazing guy. I don't know anything about him dedicating his entire life to the service of God. I don't know. He didn't. <laughs> so how big is God? Yeah. When people who don't even stand God, when faced with reality, you know what he was? He was honest. That's what he was. How big is God? Man, he's it. He is it. So I'm telling us all of this to say this information that John gives, he's giving it to, to defeat your fears. He's giving it to defeat your doubt. He intends, 
John intends, the Holy Spirit intends, Jesus intends, and the Father intends for fear and doubt, death, the grave, to be obliterated. And he did it. He did it. He just came to take some, help some cod fishermen develop a code of morality and run off. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't do anything. Doesn't do anything. Every one of these events, conditions, and stories that, that John tells us by the inspiration of the Spirit tells us there is absolutely no possibility. I'm, I've started wondering today if the, apostles, if the apostles having this message, if that's not a culmination, did they overcome time? They didn't have time to learn this. Are they dead in their understanding of who Jesus really is and what the kingdom really will be? You bet. Is there some way they could manipulate the nature of themselves to go from don't understand, scared to death, to yes, I understand, and this message that doesn't make sense to Jews or Greeks, see the one's going to change the world, we came up with it last night, here you go. What's the possibility of that? There's no possibility of that. What's the human, where, where, where can human effort play into this? Human effort doesn't play into the existence of the New Testament. It's not the Word of God. Then before God, what in the douse is it? At the very simple least, I mean, I've got it, the original language. Anybody can get it. You can get it basically almost free. You usually got to pay for that. Well, where did it come from? It came from a bunch of scared fishermen and a tax collector? That didn't make any sense. That didn't make any sense. The only logical explanation is the very explanation that they give. Jesus did what he did, is who he is, kept his promise, the Father kept his promise, sent the Spirit in the name of Jesus to these men, and they wrote down what they couldn't understand, what they had no idea about, and they didn't just write it down, they went forward in it. And the whole world heard the gospel because it was truth. Because it was truth. Because it relieves fear and overcomes death and overcomes sin and gives life a purpose and meaning and value that human beings cannot come up with. This is from God. So, we're going to go forward uh, Sunday, and we'll be, in the next few times together, we'll be finishing up the Gospel of John. I just wanted to underline this and make it as simple as I could tonight. This is a letter written to the early church, and it's written in sidewalk terms for me. It's written to brag on Jesus. Because the bottom line is your faith has to be in a person, and the person is Jesus. We don't know anybody else like him. And this is not comparable to any other literature on the planet.
because the very existence, there was zero possibility of its existence and its existence was spoken of deliberately ahead of time. And just exactly like Jesus said it would happen, it happened. That's, that's the certainty, that's the security of the thing that you and I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Nobody was duped, nobody was tricked. Jesus is exactly who he said he was. He didn't deliver a moral code, he delivered the truth about himself. And that, brothers and sisters, will bring us to him so that we can come to God. No one comes to the Father except through me. When you show it up and you do it and you created it all, guess what? It's ever a little bit on your terms. That's it. And that's not Jesus putting everybody else down. That's Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the value of it. I am who nobody else is. I did what nobody else could do. And he lays it out there for us. And so we, we contemplate, we consider, we meditate, we dig, we scratch, we claw, we listen, we read, we study, we think. But here we are. And this is the very simple presentation that John's given us. He said in the beginning, here's a spoiler for Sunday morning. He said in the beginning, darkness could not overcome the light. The light shines into the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not and the darkness overcame it not and the darkness could lay claim to it not. They come to arrest him, they won. They have won nothing. They kill him and they won. They have won nothing. God's done what God said God would do. Jesus is who God said Jesus is. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you for who you are. Father, we don't know anybody else like you. We thank you for every good and precious thing you give us in Jesus. We thank you most of all, Father, for telling us the truth, for telling us the truth so that before we get to the, to the place of, of pure honesty where Steve Jobs evidently sounds like God, we can get there right now. All we got to do is just be honest with the information you've given us. It's either true or it's not. Jesus is either your son or he's not. He's either Christ. He's either Messiah. He's either king or he's not. And he is, Father. And we cannot deal honestly with the implications of that in our life and for this confused and fearful and doubting world or we can ignore the facts in the case and blow it off as something that man made up just one more thing that doesn't promote our interest uh, that we have or suit the terms that we lay out Father I'm asking you to be with us to be with us as your people, 
Because a world filled with fear and darkness and doubt, a world filled with those things, Father, is longing. They are longing for somebody to know for sure and certain the solution. They're longing for somebody to have a truth that sanctifies and saves and transforms. They're longing for somebody, Father, to be able to tell them in terms they can understand where they can have victory over this world and the worst that it can do. Whether the world knows it or not, Father, they're longing for that. They're longing for the peace and the confidence and the certainty that come from it. Thank you, Father, for this wisdom. We realize Jesus Christ crucified is foolishness to the world. But the foolishness of God is greater than man's wisdom. And so his wise message, Father, is able to accomplish your purpose. Bless bless its presence in our minds. Bless it, Father, as it comes into our hearts that we might believe it, that we might consider it and meditate on it. Give us the courage, Father, to accept it again every day. Thank you for your truth of your word, for your people in this place, and for the opportunity, Father, that is before us. Help us. Help us to grow in our confidence of Jesus. For our sakes, Father, and most especially for the sakes of a world that does not yet know. Glorify yourself, Father. Keep your promises to us in Christ Jesus. It's our earnest prayer through him who bled and died and intercedes now on our behalf. We pray these things. Amen. Peace. We'll take off Sunday.